Well, good morning. Good morning again. Uh, this morning we begin a new sermon series. Uh, it's titled Colossians Complete Through Christ. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to unfold this letter with you, uh, this letter of Paul's to the Colossians. Um, and I want us to read it as if we're the church in, in Colossae, all right? And I want you, when I say that, I also want you to read it like, try and read it through weekly, okay? Um, and get familiar with it. There's, there's no other way to better understand God's word than to read it over and, and over and over again. Um, often when I'm in sermon preparation and I'll read a passage and I'll think, oh boy, I have no idea what this means. But if you read it a couple of times, like it, oh, okay, begins to settle in, right? Um, and so I want you to do that. And I want you to think as if you're the, the people, the, the Colossians, as you read it, because it, it really is correspondence to a specific church, although it was encouraged by Paul and the other apostles to circulate these letters. Um, it was written to a church for a purpose. And uh, so it has a purpose for the Colossians specifically, but it has a purpose for us too, because it's God's word, right? Um, he's going to, in this letter, Paul's going to deal with false teaching, which it just conflicted big time with, with the doctrine of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Uh, the fact that Jesus is first and foremost God. It, it, it conflicted with that. It conflicted with everything that surrounded the gospel message. Uh, therefore, uh, the, the doctrine of Christ is front and center throughout this, this whole letter. All right. And, and also, how to apply that truth. Why is it important becomes part of, of Paul's message as well. See, our culture, just like the first century culture, worked over time to, to defeat the Colossians, to cloud the doctrine of Christ. Our culture, just like that culture, does the same thing. It seeks to cloud your understanding of Christ. It seeks to throw up alternatives, false teaching of some sort. It wants to bring you down. It wants to bring families down. It wants to destroy um, anything that's built on Christ, that's built on the, the, the supremacy of who he is, of, of who God is. And so it, it's beneficial for us uh, to go through this letter. Now, you may be thinking, okay, how does our culture do that? The other day I was in traffic and I saw that bumper sticker, Coexist, right? which is written using various symbols of, of different religions. And some of them are multicolored. They have that rainbow color effect to it. And, and a lot of times you think, well, I, you know, I can agree with that. I mean, we all should be able to coexist, right? Why not? You know, Jesus wants us to love everybody. We should be able to coexist. Well, the, the, the truth is we can't coexist. Because the word coexist calls for acceptance and affirmation of all religions. We can't accept and affirm falsehood represented by those symbols. Right? Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Now we can be loving towards people that, that we don't agree with. But to coexist, that asks for something totally other. That asks for us to say, well... Yours is as good as mine. My, my faith is just like your faith. There, there's multiple ways to get to God. And, and that's not true. We, we can't go But it's things like that from our culture that, that sneak in. And you find yourself driving down Gumwood going, 
Oh, yeah, we can all coexist. I mean, a Christian should be able to get along with everybody. And you got to stop and go, no, 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 wait a minute. That's not the way it works. That's not at all the way things work. And unfortunately today, and, and because I see that in myself at times, and I see it in us, unfortunately today the evangelical church is accommodating culture in big ways. Now, I don't think Grace Church is, and I don't think I am. I hope you're not. But the evangelical church as a whole is just accommodating and sucking in culture and accepting and affirming all kinds of falsehoods. I, I don't know why. I, I, I don't know why the evangelical church would do something like that, but you see it all the time in, in various Mega churches, you see it all the time in, in articles that are written. Um, and, and Paul writes the Colossians. He writes to them and calls on them not to accommodate culture. Now, as you read through, as you read through Colossians, you're going to find it maybe argumentative at times. You're going to find it rather abrupt. You might find it rather tense in its feel. That's because it is. Paul's writing... Um, about important doctrinal beliefs. And so he doesn't mince words. Now, from an English perspective, he, he has run on sentences. But in Greek, you can get away with that. But that gives it that feeling of, of just like he's got this agenda because he does. And so you may be uncomfortable with that, but, but don't let that throw you off. See, Paul's writing to the Colossians because they're... There was a real dangerous temptation to accommodate cultural beliefs in their day. Such as there's, there's a higher order of knowledge. You see that in chapter 2, verse 8. There is. There's just Jesus. There, there's not anything mystical going on. There's, there's not certain people in the know, and, and they're going to teach you how to, to, to get in the know. That, that's not the case, but that's what was going on in in Colossae at the time. Or, or the other thing that uh, angels were, were something to be worshipped. There's people today that, that believe there's, there's these guardian angels in their life directing them and they, they're communicating with them and I, I hope nobody here is doing that because that's not healthy. That, that, that's a spiritual dead end. That's a lie. In the pit of hell. We're not to worship angels. They're God's servants. And they may do things on our benefit for God's glory, but we don't worship them. You go through the Old Testament, and there's all kinds of accounts of, of people falling down before an angel, and the angel's like, no, 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 stand up. We don't do that. The, the other thing is the, this accommodation of, of rituals from, from Gentile and, and Jewish backgrounds that they tried to blend into the worship of Jesus Christ, which again did nothing for their spiritual benefit, it was something that distracted them from the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Now there's, there's talk, if you read a commentary, there's talk about the Colossian heresy. And, and all they're doing is pointing out that there was several different heresies that maybe in their infancy during the first century turned into something we know as Gnosticism later on, centuries later. But what you see right now is, is, is not just a, a, a coalescing of, of one, these three things into one organized philosophy, but you see the, the roots of, of falsehood and lies that were attacking the Colossians as they tried to live in a 
in a culture that worshiped a pantheon of gods, whether they be Roman named or Greek named or Babylonian named, they were worshiping this pantheon of false religions. And then these Colossians, they got saved. And their lives were transformed and their world was rocked. And so was the community. And so the community was pressuring them, well, no, you still need to do this. And the Jewish uh, people that were in that community were like, well, no, you still have to do this if you're going to be, you know, you have to be a Jew first before you become a Christian. And that, that wasn't true. And the, the, the Gentiles were bringing pagan beliefs in and all kinds of worship going on, strange things. And, and Paul's like, no, let's bring it right back to where it belongs at the, the beginning, at the, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, who he is and what that does to our lives. And you don't have to look far in our culture, as I already pointed out with that bumper sticker, to find falsehoods which cloud the doctrine of Christ. They're, they're everywhere if we open our eyes and think with a biblical worldview, not a worldview that's been accommodating culture into it. So our, our first uh, study in, in this series on Colossians is going to be titled, A Worthy Walk. And in it, we're going to look at three parts. We're going to look at a greeting this basic greeting that Paul gives to the Colossians, verses 1 and 2. We're going to talk about thanksgiving in verses 3 to 8. And then we're going to talk about just praying in verses 9 to 14. Grabbing three uh, parts to this, these opening verses, verses 1 to 14. So turn, if you haven't already, in your Bible, Colossians 1. We're going to look at verses 1 to 14. Or if you haven't scrolled there already in your device, fire that thing up and scroll to Colossians 1, verses 1 to 14. And then follow as I read. All right. Here's what Paul writes to the Colossians. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it is also as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption or forgiveness of sins. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, as we read your word, we are uh, amazed at the truth that comes out of it. 
And we pray this morning that we would, would hear that truth come out of your word. A truth that would uh, encourage, that would challenge, that would buoy up our faith. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I'd like us to walk away with this morning is this phrase, God saved you, therefore walk worthy of him. God saved you, therefore walk worthy of him. And you're going to see how that plays out as, as we go along. So as we look at this greeting, verses 1 and 2, just as part of a, a background history-wise, Paul's writing to the church in Colossae about 60, 62. So we're, we're talking like 30 years. Just a mere 30 years since the death of Christ. Not, not very long, really, when you think about it. Uh, some of you maybe aren't 30 yet, so it seems like a long time. A lot of us are beyond 30, so it doesn't seem long at all. Uh, but, but the point is, it hasn't been generational. Some of the people he's writing to in class A may be brand new believers, first generation believers. Now, Paul didn't plant this church. But as you read through the letter, you realize he's concerned for its well-being, and so he writes this letter. And he writes to the Colossians because they, they needed direction, they needed encouragement, and their struggle against false teaching. And he's writing from prison. He didn't plant the church. He's never met these people. And he's in prison. I mean, if I was in prison, I'd be really concerned about my soul. Paul's like, nah. That's not worth it. There's, there's, there's no good in com coming out of that. His heart was for believers, for the church. And his heart was for a group of people he'd never met. He'd only heard about by this guy by the name of, of Epaphras, who we believe was the pastor from Colossae, or at least the guy that planted the church. Anyways, he ended up in Rome and was an encouragement to Paul. And he tells Paul about what's going on in Colossae. Paul's encouraged by what's going on in Colossae. So he writes this letter because he's also concerned. He's concerned for their well-being. Now, Paul writes, and he uses the term saint, which means to be set apart, means to be holy, it means to be dedicated. Paul is identifying these people as dedicated or holy because of what God has done in their lives. And he calls them faithful because their belief shapes how they live their lives. And it's evident from what Epaphras has told them. Right? Um, he's addressing people as brethren. And, and in our, you know, politically correct terminology, day and age, it's like, oh, so there's no women there? It's only faithful brothers? Not the term. That's not what the word means. It means men and women. It means brethren. It means those who are children of God. That's all y'all. And well, it means kids. It's all of us. Um, and so he's writing to these people in Colossae who have a firm loyalty to Christ and the things of God. They're faithful. They're believers. They're loyal. They're dedicated. I had a pause, and I, I have to ask myself, and so I'm going to ask you the tough question. Could, could you, could we, the church, Grace Church in Granger, could we be called faithful? Somebody was writing to you, would they call you? It's a tough question. 
Most scholars view Colossae as one of the least important churches to which Paul wrote. Yet he cares for them as if they were the only church in existence. Colossae was kind of a, a backwater town. Centuries before, it had gotten bypassed. It's like some of our small towns. Once the railroads came through, these towns blossomed. And then when the railroads kind of died off and the expressways went through, these towns dried up. Well, the same kind of thing happened. The trade route went around Colossae due to wars that were fought and loyalties that were made. And so it's, it's just kind of a backwater town. But Paul cared for it as if it was the only one. See, every congregation is important to God. Every congregation, including Grace Church. Paul greets the brethren in Colossae with grace and peace. That's, his, that's one of his famous lines. It's a, it's a common blessing by Paul. It's, it's grace which makes peace with God possible for us. It's grace that makes peace with one another possible. It's the grace of God which saves a person from their sins. It's the grace of God that removes the enmity between God and people, removes that hostility. And, and in a broader sense, it's God's grace which enables us, wait for it, it's, it's God's grace that enables us to live in a faithful manner. God's grace is enabling us. As we yield to His, His will, his grace enables us to yield to His will, and it just multiplies in our lives. It's God's peace which passes all understanding, which is why Paul brings that up. And it allows us to enjoy God. It allows us to enjoy life. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is, is key about that, right? Be anxious about nothing but everything by prayer and supplication. Make your requests. Be, make them known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard you. But that's, what that's all about is, is wanting to be in God's will. It's praying for God's help to live a life that's faithful. Peace is that inner confidence God gives us when we are walking in His will. And it allows us to face good circumstances or bad. Because when you're walking in God's will, it doesn't always mean things are going to be peachy and rosy. Following God's will doesn't always lead down this flowery path of everything's great and oh, I have a peace about my life. Sometimes following God's will is very uncomfortable and puts you at odds with the culture around you or people around you. And so it's God's grace and His peace that Paul prays on these people. He asks God to bless them in this way. Doing His will, being faithful requires God's grace and it requires God's peace. Verses 3 to 8, Thanksgiving, Paul and Timothy are uh, uh, praying for the Colossians. And they pray for other congregations on a regular basis. You see that as Paul writes his, his epistles. Paul and Timothy have been praying, what's Paul tell us, since they first heard of the Colossians' faith. As often as they prayed for the Colossians, they also thanked God for them. Now think about this. They thank God always because of all God has done for the Colossians. What does it mean they, they prayed always? Or later on he says, I, we, we cease to pray. Does it mean like that's all they did? Like nonstop, they were just constantly thinking that way? Well, you can't live that way. It, it, it may be that they followed the Jewish tradition of praying three times a day. Remember in the book of Daniel, when Daniel um, 
is told he can no longer pray, he goes back to his house, and they went to follow him and watch him because they knew he would pray at the middle of the day because he prayed three times a day. And he opened his windows for Jerusalem, and he prayed. And they're like, yep, there he is. What a faithful guy. He's always praying. But we can get him now. See, that, that was the thing. When Jesus says, uh, you see the um, Pharisees praying on the corner, that's because if they were out and about during the day, they would just stop at the right time of day, and they would offer up prayers, and they'd be very loud about it. So everybody would know, oh, look at that Pharisee. What a righteous guy he's praying. It could be that that's what they did. They'd be on their travels through Asia Minor and, and, and Europe, and now it's time to pray. Yeah, it's a good time to stop and wait, rest, sit under the shade tree, and they pray. Maybe they prayed early in the morning, middle of the day, and late at night, following that tradition. That may be what Paul meant. Or it could mean that as they're walking along, it just spontaneously, you know, Timothy would say, we need to pray for Colossae, for Ephesus. And Paul would say, yeah, let's start. And so as they walk to kill the, the time, it makes prayer sound kind of cheap, but to kill the time, when they'd run out of conversation, they could pray. And so I think this is what Paul and Timothy were doing. As often as it came to mind, they would pray for Colossae, and they would thank God always because of all that God was doing there. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Can we follow that example? Sure we can. Can we make it a legalistic thing? Oh, you bet. And then you can totally destroy the whole activity. But prayer is a discipline that requires us to be thinking beyond and outside of, of who we are. Paul and Timothy were ceaseless in praying and giving thanks for the Colossians. Can we do that? I want to I want us to follow that example of Paul and Timothy. I, I want us to give thanks and pray for those sitting next to you each Sunday. Now it's interesting when when we were in the church building, everybody always sat in the same pew, right? Well, here we are in the gym, and you're still sitting in the same spot in the bleachers and on the chairs, right? And if somebody's in your spot, oof, that's kind of awkward, right? I guess I have to move over a couple chairs or back a row or up a row. What am I getting at? You know the people that sit around you. You greet them every Sunday morning, and if you don't know their name, not to make you feel guilty, you need to learn their name. You know, I come up to you a lot of times, I go, Remember your name. And you guys are very gracious, very nice. Do the same. If somebody asks you what, what your name is, tell them. You know, if they say, Well, how long have you been coming? And you say 30 years, then, you know, if they feel bad, that's their fault. But, you know. But all I'm saying is give thanks and pray for those sitting next to you each Sunday. You know their name. Pray for them. You give thanks for them because you know why? If they're not there, something's missing in your Sunday. And when they're not here, something's missing in their Sunday. They're connected to pray for them. The faith that Paul mentions is not merely a saving faith in, in these verses. The, the, a saving faith which the Colossians already exercised at conversion. They're saved, right? The faith mentioned here is a per, persevering kind of faith. A, a, a faith that is lived out in the furnace of everyday life. And I say furnace... You know what I mean? All of us live in some sort of furnace. One person's furnace may seem hotter than the other person's furnace, but it's always a furnace that we all lived in. And how we live out our faith is what he's talking about. It's a persevering faith. They're thankful for the faith of the Colossians 
in the midst of the furnace of a culture that is attacking them and the temptation to accommodate that culture. The Colossians demonstrated their faith as they worked at loving each other. And this is the other persevering faith. Paul says, as you have love for the saints. We all know it's hard to love one another. Let's be honest. You come in here on a Sunday morning, and sometimes you just go and sit down and avoid that one person that was standing over there, right? Why is that? Well, either you're having kind of a problem on your own end in the morning, and you just really don't want to talk to them, or you're having a hard time loving them. Let's just be honest. I mean, Paul's being blunt. Let's be blunt. Love one another is probably one of the hardest things that, that happens in the church. And yet Jesus said, they'll know us by our love. They'll know us by our love. They'll know that that church in Colossae is following Christ because they love one another. The Jews are loving the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are loving the Jews, and the women are being loved, and the men are being loved, and the children are being cared for, and the elderly are being cared for. And they care about their neighbors who don't even go to that thing whatever it's called, the way, the, the, the church, the, the, there's all kinds of names early on. The Colossians demonstrated their persevering faith as they worked, as they worked at loving each other. It doesn't come easy. It doesn't come easy at all. Paul and Timothy give thanks for the Colossians' faith, for their love, and for their future hope that, they've, that they now possess. The Colossians had a hope of a future blessing because of the truth they heard preached in the gospel. We all have that hope. Some people call it a pie-in-the-sky kind of hope. Well, fine. But I still have a hope that one day I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. And I won't have to deal with the furnace I live in. That's a legit hope. It's not a wishful thought. It's not, gee, I hope I make it to heaven. It's based on fact. It's based on the fact that Jesus died for our sins. And he invites us to believe. And if we believe in him, we have eternal life. It's all fact-based. See, the Colossians had this hope of a future blessing that they heard preached in the gospel. The gospel literally means what? Good news. Good news. The good news is the truth about salvation and the hope of heaven. And it's a message which is bearing fruit, Paul says, wherever it's preached in the world. It's touching lives. It's changing and transforming lives. The gospel's not bound by one culture. It's not the, the white man's religion. It's not the black man's religion. It's not the brown man's religion. It's the gospel, and it crosses cultural lines. It doesn't see color. It doesn't see gender. It sees people in need of salvation. The gospel is founded on God's unconditional love for mankind. And here's the thing. God extends grace to people based upon his love for them. On his love for them, not on their personal goodness. You can't earn this. It doesn't matter if you check off all those intersectional boxes. Everyone without Christ is a victim of sin. And everyone without Christ, because of that sin, is destined for eternal judgment. But the gospel, good news, that crosses all boundaries, and it's based on God's love for mankind. 
gospel gives us a personal, eternal hope, not wishful thinking, but a confidence that we'll spend eternity with God, forgiven of us. See, God saved you. Therefore, walk worthy. Walk worthy of Him. Verses 9 and 14, prayer. Paul states, he and Timothy pray without ceasing for the Colossians. Right? That's what they do. He says they never stop praying for the Colossians. Now here's, a, here's an important point. There's great power in specific, in specific and regular prayer. There's great power in that. In, in specific and regular prayer. What, what that does is it, it, it takes... It takes this concerted effort turned towards God in favor of other people. And so you're intercessing for people. And as you pray for people, God begins to work in your heart, and you begin to change that prayer. And, and you begin to pray more specifically and more urgently and on a regular basis. So here's what I want you to do. Another, another thing for you to do out of, out of this passage is make a plan. Make a plan for prayer. How are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? Keep a list of names. Start with the people sitting around you. Add family. Add friends. Keep a list of requests. Be diligent in, in trying to keep that, that specific time for prayer. Do whatever it takes to ensure that you pray without ceasing for the people who are Grace Church and the people that are in your world, your network of people. Let's begin praying without ceasing. Because there's great power in specific and regular prayer. Paul and Timothy had this strong sense of concern. You could call it a pastoral concern for the people of Colossae. They, they continually pray for the Colossians, and they pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual understanding or all spiritual comprehension. So if you're wondering... What should I be praying for? Paul's going to tell you. Here's what you need to be praying for people. Paul's asking God to fill people to the, to the brim with the knowledge of his will, with the knowledge of God's will. He asked that, that people would be full and they totally understand, have total comprehension of, of, of God's will with all spiritual wisdom. He longs for the Colossians to live in a manner pleasing to God. See, and this is the difference between knowing and doing. One of the problems we have at Grace Church and even the evangelical church at large is knowing and thinking that's a maturing thing. And I'm always reminded of one of my profs in seminary said, Howard Hendricks. He used to say, it's not what I don't know about God and the Bible that bothers me. It's what I do know and don't put into practice. I've shared this with you before. That's what bothers him. That's maturity. There's a difference between knowing and doing. And Paul's praying for them to do, to take what they know and apply it with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, comprehension. See, God saved you, therefore walk worthy of it. Which brings us then to, to verse 10. Paul explains what living in a manner worthy of the Lord looks like. If you are worthy, you are, you are a principled person if you're worthy. You're, you're ethical if you're worthy. It, it, you're upright. Worthy means to be principled. It means to be ethical or upright. To explain what a worthy walk then looks like, Paul then gives us, for you Greek, not you Greek, you, you grammar people, four present participles, meaning something that always takes place. 
and a participle, it it modifies it, it it explains the verb, if you will. So walk in a manner worthy. Well, what's that look like? He first says you bear fruit. You bear fruit. He says a worthy walk is characterized by good works which bear fruit. Well, what are good works? Anything that is good. It, good works are, are any kind of goodness. Matthew records Jesus saying, this, Let your light so shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Matthew 5. So, Paul says a worthy walk is characterized by, by good works that bear fruit. And the fruit is people seeing that and identifying those good works, not with just the fact that you're, you're a good person, but that you have a God in heaven who's perfect and has redeemed and saved. The second part of simple uses is increasing. Increasing in what? In the knowledge of God. Increase means, obviously, become greater, to grow. A worthy walk is characterized by growing, uh, a growing knowledge of God. Paul prays that the Colossians would grow in their knowledge of God. How does that happen? Well, it's not based on some feeling you get when you read Scripture. You may get a feeling, but don't base everything on that. Growing in knowledge takes hard work, and it's, it, it comes from being grounded in the study of the Bible and reading. So I get up here this morning, and I'm doing my opening, and my mind blanks, right? What is John 1? And, and probably 50% of you are like, oh, pastor's losing it. It's, and you, you said it. That's because you're grounded in his word. That's because it can come back at any moment when you need it. Not just because you had a study in the Gospel of John five years ago. Being grounded in the knowledge of God, boys, your faith, you're able to say, look what God did back then, back then, back then. I understand a principle that's here, and it strengthens my faith. I know I'm not just doing this because Pastor Art mentioned it in the sermon. I'm doing this because it's grounded in God's Word. A worthy walk is characterized by growing knowledge of God. A third participle is strengthen. The word means enable someone or cause someone to be able. A worthy walk is characterized by a strength supplied by God. Paul is praying for powerful strength that comes only from God and His glorious might. The strength is for what? Endurance and patience with all joy. That's what it says to the growing knowledge of God. So the growing knowledge of God, it, it produces good works in us that bear fruit, and then it gives us patience as, as we enjoy, as, as we cling to. The last participles give thanks. A worthy walk is characterized by a thankful heart. And Paul gives us two reasons to be thankful here as he gets ready to close out this passage. First, the Father qualified them to share in the inheritance of all believers in heaven. We can be thankful because we as believers have an inheritance in heaven. One day we will be there. Amen. Okay, thank you. I was waiting. All of a sudden I felt like Josh Lansford, Pastor John. Anybody? Anybody? The, the second reason he gives us is that we've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom. 
of his beloved son. That happens the moment you believe. This idea of deliverance means to save or rescue. Paul doesn't call it, and notice he doesn't call it a kingdom of darkness, because that's a that's not a place to live as much as it's a place of control. We've, we've been delivered, we've been rescued from that domain of darkness. He rescues people from Satan's domain, from his control, and transfers them into the kingdom of his son. God saved you, therefore walk worthy of Him. That's Those are two things to be thankful for all the time. Like, I don't know how many times somebody looks at me and says, what are you thankful for? And you probably have this happen too. Your, your mind goes blank. And then you, if you're married, you go to the, the, the default. Oh, I'm thankful for my spouse. We should be thankful that we've been transferred out of the domain of darkness. That we no longer have to march to those orders. We now have a choice not to sin. Before, it was always, you're going to sin. That's just what you do. Every now and then you do something good because you're made in the image of God. But for the most part, you are under the control of the enemy. And all you could do was sin. Now, now you have a choice. Because you've been transferred. You can live like you're not transferred. That's your choice. But that's not going to be very productive in the long run. See, this deliverance and transfer takes place at conversion. And it starts now. You are living eternal life now if you trust the Christ as your Savior. What we enjoy in this life until he returns is the freedom from the power of sin and death. We're able to choose. He couples redemption and forgiveness together to show us those, those two things. We're redeemed when we're forgiven and we're forgiven because we're redeemed. He does these great things. But the question that's left is, have you believed Jesus? Do you know him as your Savior? Have you cried out, Jesus, save me? I ask for your forgiveness. Change my life. I want to live different. If you haven't done that, there's no better time than the present to do that kind of thing. You can talk to me after the service. You can find Pastor John. Ben, who did our announcements, is one of our elders, Gary Harris. He's right there. John, we're, John's over there. John Hauser's our other elder. He's not here this morning. He might be working in the back. I don't know. He's with a sick kid. He's being dad. So he's with a sick kid. Um, anyway, see those guys, and, and they'll be happy to share the gospel with you and lead you in the way of salvation. But God saved you, therefore walk worthy of him. Two two action points here as we close. Walk in a worthy way. I've said that a couple of times. Just look for opportunities to do good works, to bear fruit. Grow in the knowledge of him. Let God strengthen you in your patience and your endurance and be thankful that you're no longer in the domain of darkness. That you live in the kingdom of his beloved son. Second thing is this. Live in the reality of your new home. The reality of your new home is the kingdom of his beloved son. You've been delivered. Live in that reality. You don't have to listen to the enemy. You don't have to listen. You now have a choice. God's transformed your life. And that's one thing we can rejoice in this morning is God has transformed your life. Amen. Amen.
let me close in a quick word of prayer, and then I'm going to ask Pastor John to come up and lead us in the celebration of the table. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for all you're doing, not only in my life, but the lives of the people in this room. And help us remember this. In Jesus' name.